Welcome to Call Jeshurun, a podcast from Temple B'nai Jeshurun, a vibrant and flourishing Reformed Jewish community in Short Hills, New Jersey. Welcome. I am Rabbi Matthew Gewertz. Call Jeshurun is where you can come to engage with teachings of relevant wisdom and music. You will hear from our clergy, staff, and guest speakers who will help bring meaning into a world that so badly needs it. If you would like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at tbj.org. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So I was invited uh, this week for the opportunity uh, to see that, um, I guess, infamous 47-minute film that was put together by the IDF uh, to show the atrocities of October the 7th. And uh, it's certainly not something that I wanted to see, but I felt like uh, if you're invited to bear witness that you need to see. So it was today at uh, midday, uh, there uh, were rabbis, there were uh, a couple of members of the state Supreme Court, mayors, sheriffs from the top counties, uh, people of that sort. And uh, I didn't actually know what to think or realize you get used to uh, being here Uh, with security, which is, um, I think, has definitely beefed up across the Jewish community, but certainly nothing like what you experience still in Israel. So when I got to Whippany, it was held at the Federation Building, I was shocked to see one of these armed uh, units uh, from some uh, enforcement agency, I actually couldn't even tell which one they were, with uh, two people in front of the Federation in full body armor and machine guns, which I just, again, um, is not what you're used to seeing in Whippany, New Jersey. And uh, you go in, I think this is actually a pretty common practice. You have to leave your uh, phones, any devices you have outside, and you have to sign an agreement uh, that you will not uh, do anything but bear witness, meaning there's no pictures to take. And I've been trying to figure out why. Um, one of my kids asked me last night, and it turns out actually that it's an agreement with the families uh, that to uh, keep honor for their families, that it wouldn't be shared in any way but uh, to help the effort in Israel. Uh, so that I didn't know. It comes along with uh, a colonel from the Israeli army who travels uh, with the film around the country, uh, someone who has actually had other duty. He was uh, in charge of Iron Dome relationships here in America, but he and five other colonels left that post October 8th, or I guess a little bit bit after that, by the time they put together the film, and this is their job. They go around to different communities and people who they think uh, will share these things and again bear witness on their behalf. So it came along with a military briefing uh, as well, and uh, one of the things that he said, a couple of things that stuck, and you'll hear this and we'll write about it more as time goes on, that the space between Gaza and those communities, just to give you a new perspective on what we already know, is the same distance between the Washington Monument and the Capitol building. That's all the spaces between Gaza and the communities they came to. Uh, He also uh, said that uh, he has shown this now 10 times, and when he shows it every single time, and he did today, he tears up because he can't help but to think about his parents, his children, his wife, his cousins, his aunts and uncles, etc. He immediately projects those people in his mind to who are there. And then he said, I just want to make clear for all of you that you're going to come out with one very clarifying thought, that there's a very big difference between people who consecrate life 
and those who have no regard for it. And he said, the uh, film will speak for itself in that regard. And he made it clear that there was going to be no uh, sexual violence shown, even though it happened. They refused to uh, show that. And that 47 minutes of clips were only 10% of what happened that day. And so he said, just so you understand, you're getting a glimpse to what we have. And this is about middle of the road, that there's much, much, much more horrible stuff. And of course, things that may not be as horrible, but all of it was indeed horrible. I just want to share a couple of thoughts and images about it, and then transition with that for other reasons to something else connected and related. And that is this, you know, first of all, I would say that I've except when I would go to the Holocaust Museum or learn about the Holocaust uh, and watch those movies, that's the only thing I could tell you that it was anything close to. Uh, why? Because uh, there were pictures of um, and film of such horrific things that were done to people that I'm actually not going to repeat it because of some of the young kids that are in the room. But you could do the math, and I'll explain more, but unbelievably horrific images and this is what is really hard and scary, is that as you get further and further into it, to protect yourself, you get used to it like you would watching a Holocaust movie because they become such dismembered and disfigured uh, images that you see that the only way to protect yourself is to sort of move back a little bit. But then uh, the one image that stays with me the most, and this is because of the fact that lots of us have cameras in our own homes these days, as do Israelis, so one captured a moment where uh, there was a father who obviously realized they were being attacked, woke his two boys up, and none of them had shirts on. They just had boxer shorts on, and that's all the time they had to get themselves together. And he said to his kids, come on, we got to go. And one must have been seven and just was disoriented. It was 6.30 in the morning. The other one must have been nine. So he just picks up the seven-year-old and starts running with him and takes the hand of the other, runs to the bomb shelter, and as soon as he gets into the bomb shelter, hand grenades throw it in, and you see the father. And, uh, but the two boys, somehow from the father's protection, are, live. They come running out of the bomb shelter over their father's body, go into the home, and they're sitting there together for a moment, and the older one says to the younger one, Daddy died. And he said, and he said, he looks up and he said, I'm not joking, it's not a prank, that's what happened. And the little kid answers his brother and says, I know I was there. I saw exactly what happened. How are we supposed to live anymore? And then in walk two Hamas terrorists, the ones who did this, almost not even paying attention to the kids. The kids are crying away. And they go and they open the refrigerator and start to drink the orange juice in there. And the kids are continuing to yell, don't know to be scared of these guys or not be scared of these guys. And then the older brother looks at the younger. He says, what's wrong with your eye? And he says, I don't know, I can't see out of this eye. And immediately the older brother goes from this fear and trauma to getting water, right, walks right past the terrace, gets water, and starts cleaning his brother's wounds off. Which is just extraordinary that in this moment of trauma, he's able to do that. The terrorists turn around for a moment, and these kids then have the guts to run. And they run, and off they go. And the next scene you see is the mother getting home. Uh, with Israeli security this time, and she, first thing she sees is her husband. And she, as you can imagine, just flips out. And the Israeli security is like, we, you still hear shooting in the background, because the thing is still, it's, it's early in the morning. 
And he says, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And they literally have to rip her away. And that's the last thing. You go on to the next part of the images shown. Which, by the way, I just want to, this is not part of the story, I just want to remind you that the reason we have these images, this one was CCTV from the person's home, but 85% of them are because Hamas took them with social media, with uh, GoPros on their heads, because they were proud of what they were doing. And that I saw throughout the whole film, the pride with which they um, delighted in doing what they did, and every moment calling Allahu Akbar, God is great. And this is not about Muslims and Jews. I'm just telling you that anyone who uses religious language while they're killing, um, I'm not going to use the word animals because I used it in Milburn two days after this all started and I got hate mail for two or three days from people about dehumanization. So I'm not going to use that word, but I will tell you that what I saw was the very opposite of what humane means. The very opposite of humane means. And again, I'm, I'm saving some of it because of some of the ages of kids in this room right now. So the film ended. There were times, time for questions. I honestly did not ask one because I didn't have the ability to talk at that point. But a couple of my colleagues did and asked the obvious question, what happened to the boys? And the boys were saved. They, they actually ran away and they got away. The, the little one lost his eye. And, uh, but they're living, and their mom is reunited with their kids. So a, a horrible story with at least some silver lining of this family being somewhat reunited. Is that enough? Yeah. So, so that was five minutes of the 47 minutes. Why do I tell you that after I just went six minutes into my 10 there? I may, believe it or not, go 15. I know that shocks you all. So... The story is about uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm going to tell you now that I am, I am somewhat reticent to tell you the story because it sheds some embarrassment and shame on probably me as a father and my family and at the same time a bit of pride. But we've known each other long enough for me to share. Uh, there's a rally in South Orange Thanksgiving weekend uh, that is supposed to be bringing together people who are pro uh, bringing hostages home, which of course we all are, and pro-ceasefire, which I'm not against ceasefire generally, but under these terms, I'm against it right now because it's all a manipulation, I believe, to be able to do more and you know, inflict more harm on us. But I wanted to go because I wanted to see how close they would thread this needle. And I told Lauren I wanted to go, and she said, I'm, I'm not going. I know exactly where this is going to go and how long it's going to take to get there. It's just going to be trouble. The kids like that, I want to go. So, typical Jewish family, two cars, Lauren stays in the car in South Orange, and the four of us go on to the rally. It's not huge. South Orange Maplewood are not huge towns. A few hundred people, maybe. And uh, there are people who are there for the rally itself, and then there are cops, and then behind there, there's about 10 or 15 uh, counter-protesters, uh, Jews, and uh, who I would say, just in fairness, were pretty obnoxious, that every time someone tried to speak, they would... Uh, use the megaphone so they'd you know, cancel out the noise. And, um, and I actually wanted to hear what the speakers had to say. So as Lauren predicted, within five minutes, they were yelling, free Palestine, and, uh, which of course has lots of different connotations today. And at the same time, so Sadie's here, Jake's here, and Tayo's right behind me. And at the same time, uh, there's a man who then takes the stage next, and Jake says, I can't believe it's him. 
and it's a high school teacher of his uh, that he always felt he didn't understand his agenda. For, he had it for two years, happened to get him two years in a row. And every single book he read, he'd come and say, what did I do wrong? And it was uh, basically a, a bunch of books. By the way, books that I don't think are bad books to read, but it was every single book was either about the patriarchy or about somehow why Jake, as a white man, as a white young man, um, helped ruin the society that we live in. So important books, but they were the only books. Okay. So we talked Jake through that. It was half pandemic, half not. Jake got... Jake is not a scholar yet, let me just say that. Uh, but he got A's in both classes, and so you need the people who will give you A's to write recommendations for college, and this man did. But Jake didn't really care for him. And the guy gets up, he's the next speaker, and within another five or ten minutes, he's now bringing on the river to the sea. Right? So Jake, remember, just spent a year in Israel, and not the, not the, the epitome of maturity yet at 19, um, either am I at 58, but uh, so suddenly I feel Sadie pull me and she says, Dad, I don't understand, why is free Palestine a bad thing? And I said, honey, and she said, don't we want the Palestinians to have a free state? And I said, of course we do, honey, but not, at the, not in exchange for Israel being destroyed. And then she's like, but Dad, and she's pulling me, she said, how are we supposed to know the difference between the two? And I said, honey, that's why this is so complicated. Please. She said, I must be dumb. I don't get it. And I said, honey, you're not dumb. None of us exactly understand always who is who. And as I'm trying to help this kid feel secure about something that's so complex, here comes the part that I'm embarrassed about. I hear someone yell, F you, Whitaker. You were always a horrible teacher. We're always biased. And I turn. I'm like, Jake, what are you doing? And he's like, Dad, this is a bunch of BS, except I... And he says, after all, these are double standards. This is hypocritical. And I'm like, Jake, you can't just yell like that. You're... And then I get pulled again by Sadie. And I'm like, what, honey? And she said, but I don't understand. Like, aren't we supposed to somehow, like, go from person to person and find out which one is actually with us or is willing to be with us and which one is not? It's not fair. And I say, I know it's not fair, honey. And I start to talk to her, and I hear... F you and your tenure also. <laughs> and I'm like, Jake. He's like, this is the problem in the state. They get tenure. They can do anything they want. And I'm like, what kid did I raise? <laughs> the cops are now like approaching a little bit. And then there's a man with his like 10-year-old son. And the son is wearing an LGBTQ backpack, a beautiful backpack. And the man is whispering things to his kid to yell at Jake. Seriously. And saying things that, you know, and again, my son, who should know better, to hold back, basically looks at him and says, why don't you take your son and try to wear that backpack into Gaza and see how liberal and supportive they all are. And at this point, I said, guys, it's time to go. And I turn around because I'm wondering where Talia is. And the whole time, she's like this. So we get in the car. Lauren's like, how'd it go? And... Uh, I said, honey, we're going to go over to the Eisenbergs and watch the Jet game the second half. And I didn't fill her in at that point. But the Jets got destroyed that day, so that really made the day perfect. And uh, I, the, the, the postscript is I took Talia to school the next morning. And I just said to her, I looked at her and I said, honey, she's probably my least emotive kid. I just want to thank you for being my only child who does not bring drama into drama. 
and she smiled. That was her way back of saying, I love you. So I tell you this story um, because I believe that we're now at some like midway inflection point, a point where I believe that revelation is happening, but we don't know exactly what's being revealed. You know what I mean? Like we're, like we're, real time is happening so fast and crisis is so acute for so long that it's very hard to tell exactly what's happening. The only way I could describe it is when I was a 12 year old, I put my knee through a piece of glass and had to go get stitches. And I remember not understanding how much it hurt until I was stitched up. I just got used to the pain. And I feel like existentially, spiritually, that's how we feel right now. We've gotten used to the pain in some way. Uh, I'm not saying it's good, but, but that's, how I, that's my call and where we are right now. So the question is, what do you do? And this is going to hear this theme a lot, and I haven't developed it completely yet. And don't worry, I'm not going to try to develop it on you tonight. But I believe that we are in a place where we have to figure out how to use the accumulated power that we have. And let's not make believe we don't have power, because we do have power in this country. Very different than 70 years ago. Just the fact that in the morning, in the place where I go to eat breakfast, I'm not going to say it again, I get hugged by the cops and they want to know how we are. My dad used to say the cops beat the living daylights out of them when they were kids. So things have changed. Question is, how do you take power and transform it into agency? That's what I'm going to be talking to you about in the next few months. How do we take power and transform it into agency to actually have a plan to deal with this? And I certainly, uh, you know, my kids don't even know I'm using them as an example, but I sort of thought, I don't have four kids, I have three. I sort of thought about them from that moment as an amalgam of the Jewish people right now. What do I mean by that? I feel like, you know, Jake, again, is, is the angry Jew. Like a lot of us have felt. He's angry, resentful. He cannot believe that there are double standards applied to our homeland. Double standards that say that Kim Jong-un could go do what he wants to do, and Iran could do what they want to do, and Putin marches around the world telling everyone, I think we got him now because the Americans are going to give any more freebies to the Ukrainians. But the ones that are being protested against are, of course, the Jews, the Israelis. He's angry about that. He's angry that he goes to college and there's hatred being spewed. He's on a pretty decent campus at Maryland, you know, given what else is going on there. But can't believe that these kids are living on the front line with Jew hate. And he wasn't brought up in a place where he's experienced Jew hate. So suddenly these kids are open to a world they didn't quite understand. And he's angry because of the double standard that you could be pro every single group that's being oppressed, except when you tell them that you're pro-Israeli or pro-Zionist, you're kicked out of the group. And he's angry about those things, and I'm angry about those things, and I'm guessing that it angers some of you as well. That's the angry Jew. Then you got the Sadie character. She's away for a BBYO weekend, so she won't even see this on tape. <laughs> There's the kid who wants to somehow figure out how to bring compassion to the situation. Wants to figure out, she is not sophisticated enough to yet know, but you and I know, and some of you will be angry that I say this, there's no way that we can militarily defeat the ideology. We can defeat Hamas, and I, I think we can, and I pray that we will. I think it has to happen, especially given what I saw today, a good reminder of why we're doing what we're doing, killing, God forbid, in the fog of war our own kids. You know what, by the way, I thought, I thought about today? Not, of course, the immediate think, thinking about those kids, the hostages who died and their families, but how about the kids who did it? 
Like, how are they supposed to ever then go on with their lives knowing that they did what they did when they could have redeemed them? I don't blame them at all. It's the fog of war. But Sadie is the person in us that is trying to bring compassion to figure out if you can't militarily beat an ideology, how are we going to deprogram? How are we going to find eventually people who perhaps are going to live side by side? Because yes, it's possible to, give, to kill 2.3 million people, but that would actually be genocide, which is why when people say it's genocide, it's a bunch of you-know-what. Because if we wanted to be able to level Gaza, we would. It would happen in a day or two. Not with dumb bombs that were being accused of, but with smart bombs. But still, there's the part of us who's trying to figure out how it is that we're going to navigate that with compassion. And then there's the Talia figure who sits with the arms folded and is the one who's trying to be discerning about it all who's trying to figure out how it is that what happened happened, what it is that we're supposed to do about it, how it is that we're supposed to somehow, when we see a lot of drama, not bring more drama into it, how it is that you can feel passionately about these issues, but when you sit down to discuss it, somehow find a way to be dispassionate in your dialogue. You understand what I mean? Be passionate about, always be passionate about it. But when you sit down in dialogue, you're dispassionate in your discussion about the same. And I don't think that any of us or each of those people all the time, I think that all of us need to be all of those people all of the time. That we're going to have to figure out how to get out of our depression and take age, sorry, take power and turn it into agency by being okay with our anger, being okay to be compassionate, and being damn well committed to being discerning. With those three qualities, I'm going to ask you to join me and my kids, who are such a pain in the rear end, but really taught me a lot that night. And by the way, this, I may revisit this in front of them on the high holidays, so don't be mad at me. The 200 of you who are hearing this, you'll forgive me if I tell that story again. It took me a few weeks to have the guts to even say it out loud. But an amalgam, folks, that, you know, what I thought until I saw this film I was going to talk to you about was what happened in Congress this week. But I'll just apply that for a moment as I come to an end. I'm not sad that McGill was fired from Penn. And here's why I'm not sad, but for a different reason, I hope applying these three paradigms. I actually think that if you watch the whole testimony, I guess that was last week, if you watch the whole testimony, you realize that there were a lot of good things that those presidents said. And any time, I've never been in front of Congress, and any time you're in front of Congress, someone is going to use their political side of the aisle to try to exact some kind of misery. And those presidents were prepared, obviously, with legalese, legalese that sort of goes, you know, to the nth degree. But here's what would have saved her job for me. If she had said, I have been prepared, but whatever she wanted to say, prepared by lawyers, it is a matter of context when it comes to blah, 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 blah. But I assure you, Congresswoman, that every single Jew will always be safe on my campus that every single Jew will be able to go where they want to go. They won't be scared to be able to open their mouths. And in fact, Congresswoman, every single group that is also a minority will also be protected on my campus. Because my heart of empathy and discernment and even anger enables me, even when I've been prepared by lawyers, to say all those things at once. That would be an application of such.
There's more to come. Um, I hope that I'm allowed to sleep at home tonight. And uh, so Tony and I are not going together. Tony's going tomorrow night on an FIDF trip. And Lauren and I are taking the kids on Thursday for a week to volunteer um, because these same crazy kids said, you're always talking about what a big, big deal this is. Why don't you take us also? So we canceled Colombia, South America, and um, we're going to Israel. So you'll hear from us. Um, we're not leaving till Thursday. And uh, if I'm allowed to post, because Barry Green's legacy lives strong, you're not supposed to post when you're on vacation because people will know that your house is empty. But Larry, you, you said you'd watch for me, won't you? I thought you would. So folks, um, from power to agency, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to this edition of Call Jeshurun. If you would like to learn more, visit our website at tbj.org and follow us on social media for updates on all our upcoming opportunities for engagement. We hope to see you soon.